0: thank you so much for this day you've blessed us with. We thank you uh, for the opportunities you gift us every day, Lord, for making every every day new, for granting those new mercies every day. Lord, I pray that as people are here today that you would just open ears and open hearts, Lord, and just allow them to receive the message today, Lord, and that they would be able to uh, apply it to their own life. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how's everyone doing? Yeah? All right, I'm going to get this out of the way to begin with. I am so incredibly sore. My back and my legs Some of you guys know, so Friday we, a bunch of us or yeah, Friday a bunch of us got together and played flag football for the first time in like a year and a half. And my goodness, I'm so out of shape compared to what we were. And then we had softball yesterday, and I woke up this morning and I rolled out and I was like, Ugh. it was bad. I'm only I'm only 26 and I feel like I'm 40 something. Like so, I I can't <laughs> I know. Just wait, right? Just just wait. I know. <laughs> but so, if you see any winces or hear groans of pain, that's all it is. It's nothing to be worried about. All right. But we've all been lost at one point or another. Right? Ironically, not that long ago, I actually had to have a tooth pulled because I was in so much pain, and I had to go to Fort Wayne, part of town I'd actually I used to work in. So I was like, hey, I'll find my way. Everything will be fine. I did not, right? Far too arrogant there. (laughs) But so at one point or another, though, every one of us has been lost, confused, not sure where to go, what to do, right? We have GPSs, we got phones, we got old school, we got maps, right? But I I guarantee that if I asked any of you guys to like figure out the best route right now, just drive to like Pensacola, Florida, who would know the exact route to take? Anyone? Josh? Yeah? Yeah. No, I'm just going to go, I'm going to head south, and then when I start seeing signs, I'm going to follow those, right? But we don't do that well. Like, we don't know, especially in today's age, where exactly to go, right? But we have all these tools to help us along the way. And so, just like with that, right, God has gifted us a couple of things to help us. He gave us a heart in order to follow when we get lost, and not only that, but it gives us a way to listen to the Holy Spirit. Right, the heart that he gifted us with, the way he designed us, is to listen to that Holy Spirit and follow that when we get lost. And not only that, but because of that, because our heart does guide us, we're told all throughout the Bible to protect it. Right? What we say, what we do, is actions of what our hearts show, so we need to protect our heart in order to live a God-filled life. Because everything we do, everything we say... It all comes first from the heart, right? the heart of the matter. There's all these phrases throughout, throughout the history of the world that lend itself to what the heart actually is. But here's the interesting thing. We, we blame our heart. We do. We blame our heart for a lot of stuff. And when we don't get what we want or what we think our heart wants, what happens? We get bitter jaded, angry, frustrated. You can word it however you want, but it's hurt. We get hurt at God, the people in our lives. We get hurt of the people around us for breaking our heart. Right? That's what everyone says. You broke my heart. My heart got broken. Which is true. Like that can happen. But how often do we use that as an excuse? How much of that is actually true? How much of that can actually be blamed on the other person? How much of that, if we're being honest, is actually God's fault and we can actually blame on God? Are we, am am, am I, are, are we actually giving our hearts what we want? Are we trying to do that? If we know that God gave us a heart, right? it's not going to lead us away from him if we know that that comes from God and it's a way for us to commune with him and talk with God and him to show us, it's never going to lead us away from him. So are we actually trying to give our hearts what we want? What it wants? What God wants for us? Or do we just get bitter, jaded, angry, and then blame it on our hearts? Because we've we've all heard it, right? Especially in, in church culture, right? Their hearts wasn't in the right place. Oh, it's it's a good deed, but their heart wasn't in the right place. Both sides of it. We've all heard it. We've probably all said it, right? But how about when someone blames their heart? We've heard that too. I was just following my heart. Just following what what, what my heart wants. Just following where, where it's leading me how often does that get us into trouble how often have we have we seen lives relationships who knows what else get destroyed harmed hurt injured because someone follows their heart and so in romans romans chapter 7 okay paul writes this chapter 7 verse 13 therefore did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. So Paul's writing here and he says, listen, did the good things in my life cause cause my death, cause me to turn away from God? absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, those dark parts of us, our flesh is what's causing us to die. That is what's causing us to walk away from God. Sin might become sinful beyond measure. And here's the thing, the world, the masses, all this stuff, they'll they'll tell you that it's all right to follow your heart, that God just must have it out for you, that you can blame someone else. Well, they hurt your heart, so that's okay. It's okay that, that you're lashing out because someone else broke your heart. Just follow your heart. That At the end of the day, all that matters is that you become happy. Right? Those of you that have been here before, and remnant folk, you guys know there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is above that. But that's all the world wants. Make me happy. What's going to make me happy? What's going to make me feel good in that moment? That's all happiness is momentary feelings of good. And then the world tells us that, and then we look to them. And we go, okay, well, what, what's a happy life? What is that? So what is it? You got a good car. You got a good house. You got a good job. You have a good spouse. They're pretty attractive. They don't complain too much. You got two kids, maybe five, who knows. You got the white picket fence. You have a dog named Spot. You know, red front door, all that stuff. That's what they tell you. The list goes on. That's what everyone tells you. That's, that's the good life. That's what's going to make you happy. That's what our hearts want. The American dream. All right, that's what our heart wants. That's what the world tells us. It's what people say. It's what we talk about all the time. And that's great. Those things are good. Nothing that I said is a bad thing to want. It's okay if, to want a good house and a good job and a good car have a dog named spot and two kids right we all want that there's nothing wrong with that but here's the thing those people that have that if you do a poll they're completely miserable if they're completely honest they're still miserable how many rich billionaires how many famous celebrities have we seen who end up committing suicide because even though they they have it all they have a happy life do they have it all are they actually happy? And so here's the thing. My, my youth kids there in the back row should know what I'm about to say next. You guys heard it a bunch a few months ago. all right? But if you want what everyone else has, do what everyone else does. If you want that happy house, the good wife, the good husband, the two kids, the dog named Spy, if you want all that, do what everyone else does, and then you'll end up miserable. But if you want something different, you have to do something different pretty simple if you want what everyone else is is having do what they do yeah go schmooze it up go you know go party go out drinking every friday night with your buddies pick up some women at the bar to some that's a pretty good life there was one point in my life where that's that sounded pretty good to me that sounded like a pretty good life i was like hey all right that sounds pretty good but it wasn't and it never would have been but here's the interesting part. Through all this, we found a way to take our hearts and separate us from them. We found a way to perform some sort of almost spiritual surgery inside of ourselves. We've been able to take our hearts and remove it and separate it and set it over there. Like it's, like it's some, some sort of other entity. Like it's some, something else. It's, it's, it's not part of me. That's where we get the stuff like, well, my heart wasn't in the right place. No, you're not in the right place. Your heart is part of you. We don't like to admit the fact that sometimes our heart is sinful. And it can be dark, and it can be mean. That's our flesh talking. And when that happens, when we don't address that, and we don't address the, the actual cause here, which is that we are sinful people, We are made in the image of God, and we chose to walk away from him. And we choose that every day. And that causes our hearts to harden, to be in dark places. And so we fall into sin. When we separate ourselves from the gift that God has given us, because we're scared of the parts of it that we don't like, we fall into sin. The heart is a gift from God. It is. It is. But because there's a few parts of it that we don't like, we put it aside. And we don't take the good from it. We allow ourselves to fall into that sin. Right? And anytime I hear someone has fallen into sin or something of the like, you know, I, I, I don't know why, okay, but my mind goes to like two old ladies in the sun hat sitting in the front pew on a Sunday morning, talking about all their grand nieces, grandbabies, and how, what they fell into that weekend. Did you hear about Bobby Joe? Did you hear she fell back into drinking again? I don't know why, but that's what I think of every time. Just two old ladies in sundresses, like sundresses, sun hats, and they're. Anyways. <laughs> but that, that's the interesting that, that phrase, falling into sin. That's interesting to me. Because it implies that, in, in, in a way, sin would be considered almost dormant, stagnant. Sin is there. It's waiting for us. It's waiting for us to make a choice. What choice do we make when we fall into sin? are stepping away from God, not following his words, not following what we know would make a good life because he tells us. Sin doesn't necessarily seek us out, but our flesh, our sinly nature, knows what our flesh wants. The flesh is the part of us that turns away from God, that sinful part. And every one of us has it. Every single person in this room has a sinful nature to them. And so it's just there. It's waiting for us. It's lying there. Dormant, waiting to trap us and pull us into a state of dormancy, into a stasis. It's just waiting. I imagine like a, like a quicksand or a puddle of ooze or goo or something. And it's just waiting for us to fall in and then we're, we're stuck like a fly trap. It's, it's there. It's waiting. And so we're going to hop back into Romans, but chapter 6, starting at verse 20. And here Paul writes... For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. So the things that we're not proud of, those dark parts in us, that produces death. He tells us right here, what fruit was produced from the things you are now ashamed of? Those dark things. The mean thoughts you have. The mean things you've said, the things you've done that you want no one else to ever know about, those things, those things lead to death, continuing on. But now, since you have been liberated from sin, you have been set free from sin, have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. And now this next verse, a lot of us are very familiar with it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Other versions say that you're, you're, you're liberated from your sin, you're freed from it. If, if you're freed from something, that means that you're trapped in it. You can't be free from something that you're not being forced into. We've chosen sin, but it's trapped us. Right? We choose sin and we choose those actions, but then it traps us like a fly trap. We chose to fly there, but guess what? Once we get there, it it's sticky and it's hard to get out of. Sin will capture us and hold us there until we decide to do something different. Until we decide to accept Jesus and follow God, sin will make us fall into a state of dormancy. And so I have the definition of dormant for you guys. It's not going to be on the screens, but there are two definitions. To be dormant, right? Having normal physical functions suspended or slowed down for a period of time. In or as if in a deep sleep. The second one I found very intriguing because it says temporarily inactive or inoperative. The interesting part to me is how both definitions specify that it's only temporary. Or it's for a short period of time. And so when we fall dormant, right, when we stop moving, we start to die. We know that, that being dormant leads to death, both physically and spiritually. Right. Isaac, New- Isaac Newton said it, an object in motion stays in motion, All right? And so we have it here. That's what, it, that's what dormant, sa- dormant says. And so the question you have to ask yourselves is how long are you going to stay dormant? Because it, it, it says it's not permanent. It's temporary. The de- by definition, dormancy is not permanent. So how long are you going to stay dormant? Because here's, here's the truth. You will come out of that at one point or another. There will come a time where you will no longer be allowed to be dormant. Now the question is, when is that going to come? Will it be your choice now while you're on this earth to follow God and follow the heart that God gave you and turn to Jesus? That's, that's your one option. You can turn out of that dormancy, turn away from it, follow Jesus. Or, yeah, you can stay in it. You can. It's a choice. But then, when your time on this earth ends you have to hear Jesus say that he never knew you. At one point, you will have to choose whether or not to stay dormant. We can't stay there forever. So either you choose or Jesus chooses for you. So what about right now? What are you sitting in? What are you dormant in? What are you so stuck in that you're unwilling to move out of? Where's that, what part of you are you just waiting for? Because we all have it. We all have something. There's a person, a topic, uh, who knows what else. An, an, an issue that we're in, a sin issue that we're in, that we're unwilling to even look at, let alone try to get out of. But that's the thing. That's, that's what the enemy wants. All, all it takes is one foot, just one step into that fly trap. And it becomes a lot harder to step out. So just like Paul wrote in Romans, the good doesn't come from bad. The good of your heart is still good. And that's a gift from God. But we've detached it. We've left it, we've left our heart aside because we're scared of the parts of it that we don't. So what are you not moving in? What parts of your life are you you standing there knowing that you should because that's typically what happens. We hear the call. God gave us a heart to listen to the Holy Spirit for a reason. We know, we hear it, but we shut it off. Because it's easier to not have to move and stay dormant than it is not knowing what's on the other side. Mandy's gonna come up to play some music. And as 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 we go into this, really take this seriously. What have you hardened yourself to? Is it a person? Is it that issue that you know you should stop because you know the Holy Spirit's telling you to to turn away from? What is it? And then why are you hiding from it? Why are you hiding from those things? Here's a little hint. good portion of the time, it's fear. We We can wrap it up in whatever we want, but at the end of the day, we're afraid of whatever the other side of that looks like. The reality is that we do it all the time we harden our hearts to people to ideas all sorts of stuff but the truth is God has every right to harden his hearts towards us he has every right to harden his heart towards us because of the things we do the things we say and the things we think Here's the thing. So we talk about dormancy, being dormant. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't be dormant. Jesus was never passive. He was not dormant. Jesus was active. He did something to combat the sin within us. He is always moving and always was, is always fighting, always was fighting to save us, to save me, to save you. He's never stopped. Here's the other side of it. For those of you that were around for the Kingdom series, if you weren't, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. But the Kingdom, right, is taken by violent men doing violent things. That sounds a little counterintuitive at first, right? But no, it's not. Passive people waiting to get pulled into the kingdom won't make it. Your flesh is dormant. Your sin makes you dormant. Christians following Jesus are not meant to be dormant. Christians are meant to be violent. Violently fighting for our place in the kingdom and for the place of the person next to us. want the kingdom we can have it we will but you have to fight for it you have to fight for it for yourself and for each person you interact with every day you don't know what they're going through you fighting for your place in the kingdom may encourage the person next to you to fight for theirs trying is not enough saying we want to be in the kingdom that's not enough even wanting to be in the kingdom even that's not enough doing it is enough accepting Jesus and following him is enough doing and failing is enough we're not expected to be perfect. We're not. We never were. And so we knew that there was a price that had to be paid. God knew that there was a price that had to be paid. It was a price that we can't afford. The cost of the bill is far too high. It doesn't matter what you do, how much you make, how nice you are, how many cookies you take to your neighbor next door, how many people you let go first to the four-way stop. It doesn't matter. What you do is not enough. It never will be enough to earn that spot in the kingdom. The interesting part, I think about Jesus dying for us is verses will say he paid a ransom a ransom means that we've been trapped and he paid to free us except he didn't pay in dollar bills or cookies or whatever it is but he paid with his life So that your spot in the kingdom is set aside for you. Your spot in the kingdom is already there waiting for you. You have to go take it. You have to accept Jesus and take your spot in the kingdom. And guess what? It is that simple. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, oh, there it is again, our hearts, that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. That's it. You're not expected to be perfect. You never will be. But you're expected to follow Jesus. So during these next few minutes, there's gonna be some people up front here to pray for you. If there's anything you need prayer for, if there's areas in your life that you're dormant in, you've never made that promise and you want to come ask for that. Jesus is moving. He always has been and he always will be. Are you going to sit aside as he walks by you and stay in your state of dormancy? Are you going to get up, move, and follow him?